What's good, everybody? Welcome to Building Our Power. This is Gabby flying solo today, but we've got a good episode for you guys. Part three of Blood in My Eye. Before we get into it, we have a Patreon now. If you would like to give monthly to the work we're doing in the city of Memphis, you can do so. We are creating vines, distributing them. We are giving out food, money specifically, and clothing to the pantry that we have and community fridge. And uh, yeah, if you would like any more details about that, you can hit us up um, on social media at Building Our PWR. And if you'd like to donate or join us, the link is in the description Especially when it's about to be super, super cold. We want to uh, go back into making our bags with hand warmers and gloves and stuff like that. So definitely, if you want to be a part of that, you can do so. Um, All donations are welcome. Alright guys, so we're going to get back into the reading. We're on the bottom of page 25. Blood in my eye. Lennon, Guevara, and Fannin all in their particular fashion, postulate that before revolution can take place, all other forms of redress must be exhausted, clearly exhausted. Electoral processes must have broken down. The confidence of the electorate in any of the old forms completely shattered. Confidence in the ability of the old system to honestly organize any aspect of public life must be shaken to the core. Years and years ago, it may have been an acceptable tactic to organize a people's ticket of solid worker and revolutionary credentials and arm it with an ideal platform, only to be defeated by a mud-slinging opportunist warlord, demonstrably inferior, scum-swilling pig. Then pass out a pamphlet to explain to the people how the system has failed them, or speak it in Pershing Square, or years ago in the campus hall. Today, it is not a tactic. It's counter-revolution. After 40 years, it's pretty clear that it will not suffice. Years ago, working with and attempting to influence union leadership may have been judicious, but the government has long since infiltrated and bought off this leadership and legislated away the strike. Union hall speeches and pamphlet passing are playing at revolution. It isn't revolutionary or materialist to disconnect things. To disconnect revolutionary consciousness from revolutionary, revolutionizing activity, to build consciousness with political agitation and educational issue making alone is idealist rather than materialist. The effect has been reformism rather than revolution. When any election is held, it will fortify rather than destroy the credibility of the power brokers. When we participate in this election to win instead of disrupt, We're lending to its credibility and destroying our own. Yes, Lord. With all the factors of control over the electoral process in the hands of the minority ruling class, the People's Party can always be made to seem isolated, unimportant, even extraneous. If these tactics still give the appearance of revolution to some after decades of miscarriage, we are justified in replacing them as vanguard. Ha! Interesting, interesting. You know I had to stop right here already. 1970, what did I say? I forgot. What does mine say? This was 40 years ago. 
40 years. This was before Reagan. This was before H.W. This was before Bill Clinton. This was before George Bush. This was before Obama. This was before Trump. This was before Biden. He said voting. Not even voting. Running for office. Hmm. Running for office. Getting beat. And then passing out little pamphlets and stuff. Saying, you know, the government, you know, they don't want us to win. They don't want us to do right. That is counter-revolutionary. Trying to work within a system, trying to run in these elections is counter-revolutionary. You are legitimizing this demon system, literally. You are legitimizing this white supremacist system by saying you're going to work with. And then he said right here, 1970s, we did an episode about it. The unions aren't even union in no more. In the 70s, he said you couldn't even work with the unions. So what the heck you think you're going to do now with the union? Not a damn thing. Let's, if, if we would just listen to what the elders have said, the ancestors, these people from back in time, we could save so much time. Why am I on Twitter still questioning and trying to figure out why radical people are still working on campaigns. I just, I just don't know. I just don't know. And he said, if somebody, if if somebody is, is pushing for you to continue to work within that system, continue to try to run for election, win elections, they need to be replaced from the vanguard. They're not for the people. Take heed, take heed. All right, back into it. When people began to express their disgust at the demagogic and reformist maneuvers of the vanguard parties, they will discover in real action a new form of political activity which is which in no way resembles the old. These politics are the politics of leaders and organizers living inside history who take the lead with their brains and their muscle in the fight for freedom. These politics are revolutionary and social, and these new facts, which the native will now come to know, exist only in action. They are the essence of the fight, which explodes the old colonial truths and reveal unexpected facets, which brings out new meaning and pinpoints the contradictions camouflaged by these facts. The people engaged in the struggle who, because of it, command and know these facts, go forward, freedom for from colonialism and forewarned of all attempts at mystification inoculated against all national anthems violence alone violence committed by the people violence organized and educated by its leaders makes it possible for the masses to understand social truths and gives the key to them without that struggle without that knowledge of the practice of action there's nothing but a fancy dress parade and the blare of the trumpets there's nothing save a minimum of readaptation, a few reforms at the top, a flag waving, and down there at the bottom, an undivided mass still living in the Middle Ages, endlessly marking time. In the general retreat, to avoid full commitment, to write the discomfort out of our revolution, some have raised a debate among us that has dendrated into... Name-calling, quoting the same authorities to validate diametrically opposed ideas, and ultimately creating a process that is dividing us into two mutually exclusive or contradictory groups. The overall effect is to reduce us to caricature. 
Where more than one individual is involved in any life situation, the fact of subjectivism will always make differences based on opinion and interpretation. A problem in exchanges in reaching the necessary means for the initiation of collective activity. Some debate will always be carried on. However, on the basics, we must somehow agree or nothing will get done. All opinions are not of equal value. And there is such a thing as counterproductive revisionism. Stupidity is not unknown to our long-range political policymakers. Participation in electoral politics organized by the enemy state after recognizing that the whole process must be discredited as a conditional step into revolution, and particularly participation that tends to authenticate this process, is the opposite of revolution. It's a tactic for the ultra-rightists. With history as a guide, we could never make such monumental errors. The history of the U.S., the blood-soaked, urine-steeped essence of its being, the wreckage and demise of its human character under the wheels of a 200-year-old headlong flight with heedless, frightened animals at the controls of a machine that has mastered them, allows for no appeal on a strictly ideological level. George Wallace or Adolf Hitler would fare better at the polls of an honest election than Huey Newton and Tom Hayden. Mm, yes, Lord. But again, what is an honest election after the fact of monopoly capital? So he's just reinforcing this thing that legitimizing this shit is a waste of time. And anybody that's doing it, listen, is counter-revolutionary. Anybody that's promoting this stuff. This is a white supremacist, racist-ass country. George Wallace, George Wallace would win today. There's no, there's no question. George Wallace would win today. Adolf Hitler, if he had another name and if he twisted the language up a little bit, I have no doubt in my mind, he would, if not win, he would win a lot of people. Because that's the country where we live in. That's what it's always been. We just had the facade of progress and anybody can have a chance. Meritocracy. There's not even meritocracy when it comes to sports. There's not even meritocracy when it comes to getting a job. What the heck make you think is meritocracy when it comes to winning an election to be in control of this entire economic system? Come on now. Repression is indeed a part of revolution. A natural aspect of antithesis. The always to be expected defense attack reflect. Reflex of the beleaguered, toothless tiger. All arguments against this fundamental fact are false and labored to the point of being completely illogical. Can power be seriously challenged without a response? Will the robber baron, the tycoon, the foyer allow us to seize his privilege without resistance? Hmm. Can we steal it away from the greatest bandit of all time with sleight of hand alone? Incredible. The fascists understand the value of mass psychology, are familiar with its use, and hold all the important implements of its effective control. But they are not aware of our existence and our general strategy regarding the reaching of people. The whole situation can be reduced to a minority ruling clique engaging the people's vanguard elements for control of the masses. The ruling clique approaches its task with a, quote, what to think program. The vanguard elements have the much more difficult job of promoting, quote, how to think. 
No tactic can be ignored or discounted in such a battle. Power responds to all threats. The response is repression. If the threat is a small one, the fascist tactic is to laugh it off. Ignore it, isolate it with a defense mechanism, media. The greater the threat, the greater the corresponding violence from power. The only effective challenge to power is one that is broad enough to make isolation impossible and intensive enough to cause repression to affect the normal lifestyle of as many members of the society as possible. By compromising and playing a class war, we lose. If some effective means of threatening to willpower is not used in the opening stages of revolutionary activity, repression will concentrate itself on the vanguard element only. When the ideal situation is for the people to feel the raw essence of power. Nothing can bend consciousness more effectively than a false arrest, a no-knock invasion, careless, panic-stricken gunfire. These will frighten some, anger others. Common sense alone tells me whom the people will turn their anger against. Perhaps for a short time, they'll be angry at us. But since the pig is a pig, it won't be long before the anger is channeled in the right direction. Revolution builds in stages. It isn't cool or romantic. It's bold and vicious. It's stalking and being stalked. The opposition rising above our level of violence to repress us and our forces learning how to counter this repression and again pulling ourselves above their level of violence. That process repeats itself again and again until finally the level is reached where the real power of the people is felt and the ruling class is suppressed. The power of the people lies in its greater potential violence. And this power of the people, their greater greater potential violence, can be brought to fruition only if the conditions in an urban society are created by the application of the Foucault theory. The Foucault theory can be effective only when it does not allow itself to be isolated from the people, thus exposing itself to the vastly superior firepower of the corporate state. Okay, let's go up uh, real quick and talk about um, what he was talking about. Let's, Let's go to this quote right here. I like this one. Can power be seriously challenged without a response? Will the robber baron, the tycoon, the frere, allow us to seize his privilege without resistance? Can we steal it away from the greatest bandit of all time? I think they think that we can. I think people think that we can because, you know, you just got to have hope. And uh, it's scary to think that this this country ain't going to cooperate. Even if Bernie Sanders would have won. Even if all the Justice Democrats weren't bought and paid for. Even if they were just the most progressive people that ever lived on the earth. Wouldn't nothing had gotten done. Wouldn't nothing have fundamentally changed? You would have not gotten Medicare for all. I'm sorry. You would not have not gotten a $15 federal minimum wage. You would not have gotten it. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. It's fun to fantasize. It's fun to think. First of all, they they weren't going to let them in their office. They weren't going to let none of them do what they want to do. But even if they got in there... That stuff will not happen because you're challenging the power, the profits of the 1%. And we know from history, from reading, 
they will pull every single possible punch it is to pull to keep 2% of a profit. I was watching yesterday on Afro-Marxist. It was talking about Grenada. It was a Grenada uh, documentary about, you know, that revolution they had in 1979. And, you know, how they were starting to be self-sufficient. They were starting to, you know, uh, grow their own stuff, try to... uh, have control of the exports. Um, pretty much they had their own socialist society going on. Everybody had free education, free health care. And they were trying to become a fully independent island in the Caribbean. One of the first fully independent one that weren't tied to nobody that made their own rules. And what happened? We know what happened in Grenada. U.S. invasion. Now what? All that is is gone. How many people died? I was watching some about uh, Guatemala and uh, Chiquita, the Chiquita bananas, and and how the U.S. government was literally the force behind that corporation and pulled all the punches when it came to making sure those people had no autonomy over their own product and their own labor and exports. If they're do if they do that overseas, what in the world do you think they're going to do here? We're wasting time, friends. We're wasting time. We need to be fighting for the revolution. Spending all this time, spending all this money just saying, well, if we just get these states and if we just get this candidate, you have wasted decades that we'll never get back, that we could have been 30 steps ahead. Let's do better. All right. There is no doubt that Fidel's Faco was the motor to the revolution in Cuba. But nor can there be any doubt that Fidel's organizational genius made sure that the Faco remained in the center of the much bigger revolutionary movement, which it controlled or guided for its military and political advantage. The FOCO may well be the best tactic to mount the motor, but it needs a long period of preparation, intensive organizational work to set up an efficient, reliable machinery, which will not only generate the atmosphere for armed struggle by the FOCOs, but will also guarantee their logistic, communication, survival programs, and propaganda network. The traditional communist parties of the world claim that they are doing just that, and have been, mostly peacefully, for 40 years. That is not what Bihar had in mind when he said there have been, quote, real stages of hard underground life. Bihar and new left revolutionaries all over the world know very well that a revolutionary lifestyle is a warrior's lifestyle. By stages, he meant stages of combat. And that is precisely the way in which revolutionaries can be honed into the kind of organization capable of leading a people's war. Okay, I'm going to go back up here to the note where it's talking about the focal. Um, it says, the focal theory grew out of the Cuban Revolution and refers to a, quote, more or less slow building up through guerrilla warfare of a mobile strategic force, which would be the nucleus of a people's army and of a future socialist state. We are at an impasse now because the next level of revolutionary consciousness and activity cannot be reached without calling down on the nation a corresponding and perhaps overreactionary repression. 
and it's not the people who dread the next level of commitment. They do not understand the significance of it yet. The dread, the fear, rests with some of the old guard elements. I refer you again to Mao. Quote, when, revolutionary, when revolution fails, it's the fault of the vanguard party. Some of the fear is an honest fear. The revolution will be repressed entirely. These thinkers have historical references that roll them back to Europe to the time of Hitler's Germany and Italy in the 20s and 30s. But I say that can never happen here. That was too long ago, too far away. And none of these European countries had 30 million irate niggers in their hands. None of that ever had to happen for the same reason we don't have to allow it to happen. All reactionary movements depend principally on a handful of individuals, sometimes one individual. There are many thousands of ways to correct individuals. The best way is to send one armed expert. I don't mean to outshoot him with logic. I mean correct him. Slay him. Assassinate him with thuggy. By silenced pistol. Shotgun with a high-powered rifle shooting from 400 yards away and behind a rock. Suffocation. Strangulation. Crucifixion. Burning with flamethrower. Dispatched by bomb. Auto accidents happen all day. People drown, get pollax, breathe noxious gases, get stabbed, get poisoned with bad water. Ratsbane, germicide, hemlock, arsenics, strychnine, LSD, 25 concentrate, cyanide, hydrocyanic acid, vitriol. A snake could bite them. Nicotine oil is deadly. An overdose of dope. There's deadly nightshade, belladonna, datura, wasbane, foxglove, aconite, potamine, botulism, and the death of a thousand cuts. But a curse won't work. We're going to have to fight to win. The logic of procrastination has been destroyed. A people can never be so repressed they can't strike back in some way. We will purge the paltroons and fight, or just ignore them. The reality of power's automatic defense reflexes make it possible for us to measure our own effectiveness. Their efforts to seriously repress us indicate we have reached people and that we are, we are finally in the fight. And we cannot ever be truly repressed. There is quite simply no way for established government to defeat an internal, determined, aggressive enemy, especially in an urban society. The mechanics, logic, and logistics of urban people's guerrilla warfare cannot be defeated. In the opening stages of such a conflict, before a unified left can be established, before most people have accepted the inevitability of war, before we are able militarily to organize massive violence, we must depend on limited selective violence tied to an exact political purpose. In the early service of people, there must be totally committed professional revolutionaries who understand that all human life is meaningless if it's not accompanied by the controls that determine its quality. I am one of these. My life has absolutely no value. I am the man under hatches, the desperate one. We will make the revolution. Nothing can stop us. We are not intimidated by the specter of repression. We are already repressed. The Black Legion and their terror leaves us cold and afraid. We will meet it with counter-terror. We will never, never allow ourselves to be immobilized by a tactic that actually works better for us. The lynch murder of a friend, it makes me angry, not afraid. I'm the next man that must be lynched. My forefather trembled when his brother was lynched, but my brother's immolation means war to death, war to the utmost, war to the knife. 
Violence is not supposed to work in America. For no one, that is, except the omnipotent administrator. But this has yet to be proved to my satisfaction, since I know that a bomb is a bomb is a bomb. It twists steel, shatters concrete, and dismembers men everywhere in the world. Why not those made in America? A bullet fired from an assault rifle in the hands of a Vietnamese liberation fighter will kill a pig in Vietnam. Why won't it kill a pig in the place where pigs are made? Counterterrorism is a facet of urban people's guerrilla warfare. It's our logical response to the repressive measures taken by our enemy state to contain us in the early stages of rebellion. Our military cadre involved in this activity has a tactical advantage over the establishment's terrorists only if we remain clandestine. While working at the direction of a political front, we must remain separate from it. The ranks of these soldiers must be absolutely impervious to infiltration. Precautions must be made to keep this cadre impenetrable, impenetrable to police spies and less committed comrades. Okay, so this is page 34. Okay, so let's go back to this one when he was just listing out, um, we'll say methods. He was saying how people would say, you know, In Germany and Italy, you know, the socialists were driven out and it became fascist. So, yeah, it won't work because it didn't work there. He's pretty much saying there's, there's two different times and uh, different peoples. Like, in America, we're talking about a indigenous black-led revolution. Like, literally, this country was built off of our death and exploitation. We have a whole other villain, villain origin story. You know what I'm saying, and uh, more things that that put fire into our our blood, and more things that get us motivated to get things done. It's not just well, it might be good if we have a socialist society. It's more so like that's the only hope that we have. There is no other option because every single facet of this society now is created to make sure that we have a terrible quality of life, that every single uh, amount of energy is is extracted for us, for the profit of others, and, you know, we have an early death. So, yeah, it's, it's different. And he was also talking about, you know, when he was listing everything, how it doesn't have to be a, a group of 10,000 people. All it takes is a couple people who know what they're doing and have different tactics tactics and methods of doing things um educational purposes only you can read uh, you know what was said if you want to research what they were talking about he was talking about you can do so and that may or may not be informative to you so yeah that's that part i like the part two where he was talking about we will not allow ourselves to be immobilized by tactics that will work for us like yeah they were effective at doing this and yes, we we were affected negatively. It hurt us. Some people died. But what can we take from that? They're doing something good. What can we take from that and use for our own benefit? Now, that can be in real life, physically. That can be intellectually. That can be psycholo- psychologically as well. Something to think about. Um, And he was talking about how... This part about violence is supposed to work, not supposed to work in America. Pretty much talking about how certain institutions have monopolies on violence, specifically the police and the military. 
they're the ones that can be violent. We're not allowed to be violent with them. Then it's illegal. They can hit you upside the head. They can beat you. They can shoot you. Very rarely will they get in trouble. If you barely flinch, you automatically are are in deep shit. But he's saying what we need to remember is we think we're powerless. But if things work overseas, they work here. So pretty much what I'm taking from that is study what our international brothers and sisters are doing over the world, what is effective, what has worked, and translate that to here. Seems easy enough. Study them. Study study the methods. Like, I mean, we're here in America. We don't really... We're noobs. I mean, unless you worked in the military for this demonic-ass state, most of us don't know what to do. We don't even know the first thing to do. I definitely don't. So it's important to study the people that, that are doing it now, especially now in 2022 with all this new advanced technology. If there's people that can, that are really serving a threat to this Western uh Western countries and stuff like that, we definitely need to be looking at what they're what they're talking about and what they're doing. Um so and then yeah the last last part he was talking about was um you know people that are a part of you know the 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 fighting part the the military the warfare it has to be very, very tight-knit, so much so that there's no infiltration. Very selective in who gets to come in, very selective in what, you know, obviously. Because that is very, very susceptible to infiltration, and that can be very, very dangerous. Um, But yes, this is George Jackson. He's a landed plane, and this is important things for us to be talking about. Um, theory and stuff is great, it's wonderful, we read it all the time, but if you ain't got no real life concrete, get on here, this is what you need to be doing, what are we theorizing about? I feel like I don't need no more, I'm finna go on the rant now, but we don't need no more theory stuff. Who is helping come up with the strategies? Who is helping come up with how can we militarize effectively? Who are these people? That's why we read people like this. Because I don't know nobody, no contemporaries. If you know them, send them my way. But yes. Um, and then also, I just, I just love, I just love the way he positions himself as, you know, he's he's going to put his life on the line for for the cause. And how many of us are willing to do that? How many of us? That that's a whole nother level of dedication. And if we're not there yet, there's something we can work towards. But, you know, that's something to remember to, to keep us grounded, to keep us thinking that way. It's just remember that, like, even right now, some of us have places to stay. Some of us have food to eat. Uh, but a lot of people do not. It's like 30 degrees outside. There's people outside. Nowhere for them to go. No food for them to eat. They were born into this world just like you and me. There's no reason in the world why these people should be outside suffering. This is America. There's no reason why children have no protection. No protection. No, 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 no safe. Some children have no safe haven. Not at their house, not at their school, not at the church, nothing. 
There's no reason why why children are getting kicked out for, for being gay or trans or anything like that. Like, these are the people that we're fighting for. These are people that we're trying to make a better life for, if not for ourselves, for them. And if you're going to be a part of the Vanguard Party, if you believe in that, that definitely needs to be in the forefront of your mind all the time. The people that are at the bottom of this American totem pole, the disabled, the 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 young, the old. So, yeah. Um, Let me know what you think about um part three of the Blend My Eye book. You know, I'm really, really enjoying this. Um, So, there's a lot more to go and I'm excited to share it with y'all. Um, so yeah, if you would like to donate to the work we're doing in Memphis, you can do so. Link is in the description. Um, we have the Patreon. If you like to hit us up on social media, you can do so there. And yeah, this has been Gabby. And Katie's not here, but that's alright. And this has been Building RPWR. Building RPWR.